And we'll take a moment right now to dismiss our kids, the children's church, those that want to go. Somebody's been waiting, I told you. (laughs) I wasn't lying. We do get to leave out of this place. Oh. <laughs> this, is, this is one of those mornings where I stand here and just pray I don't mess something up. Because this has been pretty good so far. Uh, the bass player, some of y'all may know. Brandon's one of our high school graduates that left and went off to the big city and been playing bass at the big church, but now he came home to the little church today. So very thankful for you and glad to hear that he made me feel real old today because he says he's almost through with school. And I remember when he was, well, we won't go back that far. At the top of your bulletin, if you got one today, there's ten names there. Those were ten names that were handed in last week from uh, Who's Your One, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago. Actually made a big deal about praying for one person. Just praying for one person over the next 30 days. A person that you know, a person that you love, but that doesn't know Jesus. That you may be a, a vessel to, to bring them to Him. That's what, uh, that's what we started praying about two weeks ago. And I asked you, as you do that, I gave you a little bookmark that has all the scriptures listed for the 30 days of prayer. And then also there was a little tear-off piece that you could put that person's name on there. And then hand it in so we could put it in the bulletin. So not only are you praying specifically for that person but that we may be all, all may begin to pray together for, uh, for these folks. So I encourage you to do that. I got 10 back last week, which is okay. There's about two weeks left for you to be praying about this, and then, um, and then we're going to see what kind of action God puts to all of that. I'm excited about it. There's two things coming up that will help you with that. One is on the 13th, and I'll mention it only today, but... Uh, I'm going to be doing a one-verse faith share workshop uh, Sunday night on the 13th from, I think it's listed at 4 o'clock or maybe 6 o'clock. I don't remember which. It's in the bulletin. And it's to just help you know when the conversation finally arises where somebody may be eager to know about what this is all about, that with, with one Bible verse, you can make it pretty plain for them. I have found, too, that when we get into exercises like that we discover that there's some freshness to our own life when we begin to look deeper about what scripture has to just say about Jesus you know the old 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 song Jesus paid it all all to him I owe that says a lot of it right there this is really simple y'all heard John today anxious John could have fooled me dude We all heard John today. John came right out of here like a 
like a fountain of water overflowing for all of us to drink from today. And I thank you, brother. Thank you so much. I want us to continue a little bit about what it means and to think about what it means to be able to offer Jesus to another person. What it meant for him. And I think that's where we need to begin and and really begin to make heart heard. We hear it with our heart. Just what it meant for Jesus to do what he came to do. What, it, what's it, what its purpose was, how it fed him. We often forget that. And then exactly how we're able to respond to that, to this great gift and this eagerness that he had to, to show himself to us in every way and how we respond to that and offer that to others. It's important that we value this above all else. Because the world today is in a mess. If you haven't heard, have you heard that? Have you experienced it? Yeah. And we, and we constantly look and we want, to, we want to blame other things when the power of the resurrection rests here, which John spoke out of today. It rests in each and every one of us. It's got to mean something. And I want us to... I want to speak to you today not as information that you've already heard. I want to, I want to really find out if this can really mean something to your soul today. Because every time I go through this, I have to re-examine my life. I do this a lot. But every time I get into Scripture, I really do have to re-examine. Am I I there where God wants me to be? Am I still lagging behind? Have I gotten too far ahead? Am I with Him in this? So I want us to look at that. You know, people don't relate too well to sin today. Even the people that are closest to you and the people that even may even know a little bit about it. They've been in church or they've read their Bible or they've heard you talk about it or others. But there's no real idea about what that is because God is so on the fringes of life that if, if you don't have God in the, in the picture, sin's really not in the picture. And I heard somebody say, he says, our problem is we've got to get people lost before we can get them saved. Meaning, people have to understand the nature of their sin before it ever has an effect on them that they want to do something about it. And, and Jesus understood that. He understood that quandary that people were in. They understood their sin more than most of our culture does today. But what, our, what, our, what we do understand, and what, and what was certainly prevalent in Jesus' day, and what people understand today, is that there is brokenness and pain in my life. I've, met, I've, I've yet to met a, meet a person. I've never met a person that could say to me, There's, I've never felt any pain or suffered in my life. In fact, most of those folks, if you were able to drill down and dig deeper with them, they would, they would probably get to the point of saying, some of it's my fault, but some of it I don't understand at all. This makes no sense to me. I can't, I can't get over it. And we live in that life where people that, they understand brokenness. They understand a lot of it is their mistakes. And they understand that they... They just kind of give in to the pressures of life and what the world has told them that they're to be and what they're to pursue and how to, how to define their life and what values to have. Uh, but then they may find out, like John, that there's no meaning in it at all. There's no purpose in it at all, and you just keep trying to cover it all up because you don't know what to do with it. There's nowhere to take it to. There's nowhere, there's nowhere to set it down and just leave it there because it is constantly a part of the proverbial water that I swim in as the drowning fish. 
I don't know what to do with it. And it weighs heavy. You know people where life just is is a weight. It's heavy. Some of you may even be in that place where life is just a, a weight upon you and you struggle and you see people struggle. And some are struggling against what they know to be sin, but there's too much pride in their life to actually deal with it or there's too much shame. So they wind up saying, I'm just not going to ever be any use in this. I really would be less of a person if I chose now to go to God with my life and say, here's this mess that I made. I've ignored you all these years. I've chosen not to have anything to do with you all these years. But here it is. Some people, look; they look themselves in the mirror and try to imagine saying those things, and they can't imagine it. Because it's too much pride there. They just think, I cannot be that person. And then we meet Jesus and we understand that He doesn't expect any of us to be anything other than who we are. And just to come to Him. I want us to look at two passages today. I started today about 5 o'clock thinking I'll be short today. And I should have never said that, but I did. I'm not going to be long. There's some things I want us to hear. In Matthew 11, there's a passage in there. There's, uh, Jesus is meeting with some folks that don't approve of him much, and he starts giving them a scolding. Some of you know it at the seven woes in Matthew. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. He names out all these cities that are supposed to uh, really be godly places, but they've missed the mark. They haven't accomplished anything that God has set aside for them to be or to do to guide his people. But I want us to pay attention to verse 28 in that, in that passage. Because Jesus, with great compassion, cries out to these people that he's talking to. He says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And then there's this other place where he kind of illustrates this in something that he does. And all of us are familiar with John chapter 4 and the Samaritan woman at the well, which you hear more about next week. But I want to go through the last part of that today. Because I want us to experience something with Jesus that we can experience in our own lives if we will allow it. So in verse 34, Jesus says to his disciples, let me summarize the story before we get there. No Jews go to Samaria, but Jesus says, I've got to go to Samaria. So he's on his way, and he travels through Samaria. And he meets this woman at a well at high noon. All his disciples go off to get food, but there he is with this woman. He's not supposed to talk to a woman, especially a Samaritan woman. And he gets in this conversation with them. And lo and behold, in the midst of this great conversation that they have, this woman comes to understand that... In spite of everything that she's ever been told and everything that she's ever heard, this is the Messiah. And she runs and she goes to tell everybody in her village and the disciples come back and they've got food. And uh, they said, here's your food. And he says, I don't need any food. And they're thinking, who in the world brought him food while we were out getting food? And he's been out here by himself. That's the way they think about things. And, he's, and then we get into this place. 
Okay, because Jesus has just had the feast of his life talking to this woman. <laughs> and he says to them, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you say, and this is a proverb that would have been shared, there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Man, I love how that is spelled out like that in this, in, in the, this is the Christian Standard Bible. Listen to what I'm telling you. Is everybody listening to what Jesus is telling you? Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for what you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have benefited from their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. <laughs> Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, We no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this is really the Savior of the world. So bear with me as I tie these two together for a little bit. In this first passage, we discover that we truly can find rest for our soul. If there's anything the world understands today is that life is in turmoil and there's not a lot of rest for people's souls. I don't mean rest for life. I mean rest for what's going on in here. I've never seen a world that's more confused about things than the world that we live in right now. Never would have dreamed it. Never would have imagined it. But we're confused. We don't know what the left hand means. We don't know what the right hand means. We're angry. We're bitter at one another. Everything about life is turned upside down. And on the fringes of that, is where God is, and He's trying to break in, but He's not breaking in. And on the fringes of this is the same Lord crying out to people, I have rest for your souls if you will just let me in. Which is exactly what He was doing that day when He begging people to say, come to me. We find rest for our souls when we respond to the call come to me how simple a thing to do how simple it is for us in the midst in the midst of all that is broken and all in all that we are suffering in the confusion and strangeness and stress of life and there is jesus just saying you want you want relief from that come to me of course we got to come but he's the offers there it's that same offer he always offers and it is the offer that he is making through every believer to those who do not believe. Come to him. Come to him. Why? Because he knows your frustrations. He knows your pain. He knows the bitterness that is being hurled at you every day. He knows the insults. He knows the confusion. He walked this earth and he dealt with it each and every day of his ministry. He knows. You come to him because he knows. And he knows what to do with it. 
In fact, he knows that he's already handled it, dealt with it for us anyway. He knows our troubles, and he knows our frustrations, and he knows our pain, and he says you can find rest from all of those things when you come to me. Today, these two have given testimony to that. They've done it right here. And this is where we begin. He reminds us too, Jesus does, that he is lowly and he's humble. Why did he throw that in there? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law at the time were not very lowly or humble in their eyes. They were all that in a bag of chips, you might say. They thought really high of themselves, but Jesus is saying, I am lowly and I am humble, meaning that I am a servant to you. I'm not kicking the door into your heart. Here I am ready to serve if you will allow me to serve you. That is who I am. You will find a life with me that doesn't even demand that you be more than you can be. You be who you are. You just be who you are with me. You let my wisdom, you let my will, you let the spirit that I share with you guide and purpose your life. And you will find rest. The other thing that we learn in these two passages is that we can find food for our souls. We can find rest for our souls and we can find food for our souls. I love this passage because Jesus finds food for his soul. This is the Son of Man walking to earth, fully God, fully human. He's hungry, but he doesn't want physical food. He's already had his soul satisfied, and he needs nothing else. Have you felt that way before in your life, where when you're right there with God and everything's clicking on all cylinders, that you don't want anything else? The most satisfying thing in life is to be there with God. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. He says, look, I've got food you don't know about. And this food is to do the will of him who sent me. And what? And to finish his work. Wait a minute. God rested on the seventh day, right? His work was finished. No. The work of redemption had just begun. And Jesus is saying there's work to do. And it's saving people from their lostness, saving people from their sin. And this is the food that I have to eat. Every time I get the privilege, every time it happens, it's just more than I can bear. It is so satisfying. It is so sweet. It's all I want. And it is the same for you and I. You know why so many Christians walk around with frowns on their face and their head? It's not because things are bad in their life. Jesus said things were going to be bad in our life. We walk around sad and disheveled and, oh, I'm so tired or I hurt. You know what that is? You've never really had the opportunity. You've never really taken the opportunity to share Jesus with another person in your life. It's never really happened for you. And when you do that, and when that happens for you, you walk about this far off the ground all the time. This little missionary lady used to come to our church when I was a kid. I can't remember her name. She was about that tall. And the last time I saw her, she was, she'd been in the mission field 40-something years. And she had the energy of a bumblebee. 
I mean, she did. She had arthritic fingers. I don't know if she could button her own blouse. Her fingers were so bad. I know she was in pain from that. She walked that high off the ground all the time because everything that she did with her life was to fulfill the the will of the one that, that sent her and to finish his work. That's what she was living on. That's what she lived on. We get to live on that because it's food for our souls. And finally, we find that there's life for our souls. Let me go back. One other thing I want to point out. This lady that was at the well, she was not a very well-respected lady. Nobody went to draw water at the high noon unless they were trying to get away from everybody. I mean, all the other ladies probably went in the morning when it was cool, but they were all probably sitting around the well talking about her because she had five husbands, which was scandalous. And so she had to go in in the heat of the day away from everybody so she could get treated right. <laughs> Me, myself, and I, you know, live through life that way. You know what's remarkable about this story, too? Jesus reveals himself to her. She goes running to the very people that talk down to her every day. And she says, I got something to share with y'all. This man told me everything I ever did. She's not ashamed anymore. You hear the power of that? You can offer... Jesus to people who may be utterly ashamed of who they are, but at the end of the day, they're no longer ashamed of who they are. They're ready to say, hey, this guy knows everything about me like you think you know everything about me. And look, he still is going to save me. He is still making my life a spring of water overflowing unto salvation. That's who he's made me to be. And they're thinking, man, if that's true about her, let's go, let's go see. That's the power of this, see. If we don't bottle it up, but, but most people have been bottled up. I only saw a, a drawing of it, but it's like that guy on one of the, the, the guy that sold propane, the, the cartoon. King of the Hill. Yeah, there's another guy in there that stands like this all the time with his head down. That's how a lot of Christians go through life. And so they're not satisfied because they haven't received any food. This is how we receive our spiritual food. So we can find life for our soul. And, and, and this, is where, this is where we find it. In this lady's experience with Jesus, she discovers she can trust Jesus. He knows everything about me, she says. And she still experiences his love. And she still experiences his salvation. So any of us can stand before and say, you know what? Jesus knows everything about me. And he still loves me and he saved me. For some of us, that's beyond comprehension. That he knows everything and he still loves us and he offers us salvation. What you have to share with another person is this. Jesus loves me and I trust him because he knows everything about me. And he still loves me. And he saved me. That's pretty powerful. You can say that I still have burdens in my life. Anybody become a Christian and everything became rainbows and lollipops? No? No bluebirds singing and all that stuff? No. I know a lot of people's life just got worse. Still have burdens in my life. 
but I carry them with him. And I carry them by his teachings. And I carry them because I live the way that he's taught me to live. So when he says that my burden is light, he means it. It doesn't mean there's not a burden to carry. It just means that when you do it his way, it's light. It doesn't have to ruin your life. It doesn't have to weigh you down. It's a testimony to God's goodness and greatness. Because even in the bad stuff of life, God doesn't run and hide. He shows up and he's there with us to get us through it. That's how much he loves us. You should be able to say, I have a deep-seated peace in my soul. All of us, all of us that, that, that walk through the hours of our lives every day and things come against us, I mean personal things come against us, and the world begins to unravel, and we really begin to think that God has just kind of lost His way with us, then we really haven't trusted Him the way that we said we did at the beginning of this. When peace like a river attends my way and sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever thou cast, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. That written by a man that has lost his family at sea. Where does that kind of trust come from? It comes from knowing that as there is nothing else in life to trust that will also carry you through those moments and satisfy your, your soul's deepest desires at the same time. That's what Jesus does for us. Another way we find life for our soul is this last and final thing is that I want people to have Christ's peace and His rest. Jesus came, said, I came so that you could have life and have it to the full. I want people to experience the rest and peace of Christ. I know that when that happens, their life is open to the Spirit moving in them. And everything else that's going to be useful in your life as it pertains to your faith in Jesus will happen because the Spirit is guiding you and leading you and empowering you. But I pray first for rest and peace. There's nothing more satisfying other than offering Jesus to others than to know that in the midst of my troubles, because I have put my faith and trust in Jesus, I can have rest and peace in my soul. Now, I don't know if this is true for everybody, but before the, before the pastor, there's no other place to go. And I, I bet for most of you, there's no other place to go for rest and peace. I, I'm, well, I'm lucky. I have a saint for a wife, so I get to go to her sometimes. But other than that, do you hear me? This is, what you, this, is, this is the life that Jesus has given us. He's given his life for in fact, when he said that night, this is my body broken for you. He didn't just break his body to cover our sin. He broke his body to give us real food and real drink that would satisfy. 
as we prepare for this table. I like doing this when we baptize. There's nothing more meaningful for me than to be able to share the Lord's table with my new brothers. And I hope it means everything to you all here today to be able to break this table and to understand and know that what is binding us together today, what has brought us peace, is that Jesus said, come to me, and we came. And he said, now, watch what I'm about to do. Watch what I'm about to do. I'm going to give my life for you. deserves a little silence, doesn't it? I'm going to give my life for you. And I'm going to give my life to you so that you will always be in me. And we will always be together. And everything that the Father desires for life will come to pass because of the life we share.